You're listening to the MoneyWeb Now podcast series with Simon Brown. Live streamed every weekday at 6.30 a.m. It's Tuesday, 14 March. US CPI for February due 2.30 our time. Expected 6%. I'm Simon Brown coming at you live and loud from the MoneyWeb studios in Houghton, Johannesburg. On the show today, Kohlhevers. We're touching results from MTN and Sun International. Market liked them very differently. One down, one up a bunch. Uh, we chat to Denker Capital. ABSA results came out and that's now the big four all out. So which is the standout for him? And Dillian Tingi from GetBiz. The case for why government should exit its 40.5% stake in Telcom and let's stake uh, Telcom ultimately trade free and raise capital. The show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. Morning headlines from Bloomberg. Global financial stocks lose $465 billion on the SVB impact worries. That is in just one day of trading. Business day, agribusiness confidence smashed back to early COVID era. Farmers and other role players in the value chain feel the squeeze of power crisis and a myriad of other factors. We've got rain, but we've got lots of other challenges. Morning markets, US was mixed. S&P down 0.15%. NASDAQ up 0.8%. Remember, no financials in the NASDAQ 100. Asia is mixed with Sydney up 0.1%. 0.1%, Tokyo off 1.9%. Commodities nearly all green. Gold, 1,910. Uh, Brent under pressure, 79.82. Platinum, exactly $1,000. Palladium, 1,448. Rand, 18.24. Bitcoin, 24,410 cent. Trading down 0.6% in Hong Kong. And top 40 opening call, looking for a red open. 280 points to the down, that is 0.4%. MoneyWeb now on the money. Also available on podcast. Trading now with Carl Hevers, independent analyst. Carl, appreciate the time this morning. MTN results, I mean, results thick and fast. MTN, headline earnings, what, 11.54. They make the point that non-operational impacts uh, decreased HEPs by around 59. Uh, I mean, it's things such as their blended inflation rates at 15.1 versus 11.5. They've got issues with currency conversions and, of course, uh, uh, load shedding locally in South Africa. Your, your take on the numbers and whether this, this sell-off might be an opportunity yeah good morning simon yeah i think uh, um certainly in in africa they do have their, their headwinds in terms of inflation and uh um managing these currencies but generally the results in the african operations in terms of subscribers and 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 uh revenue growth were, were pretty decent um i think the the market probably reacted quite negatively on the more on the south african outlook mm. um where, where you had uh, a big impact going forward also on uh, with that load shedding um, looks about just over three percent of of the South African um, EBIT margin that that's going to be impacted so the outlook there um, re- reduced but I think the the, the biggest uh, sort of disappointment by the market would have been the dividend um, that while it's up about 10 percent at three rand 30. Um, if you compare it to the earnings of eleven rand fifty four, you know it's quite a low payout ratio. Um, they do indicate that that a lot of it is towards capex, um, where they've number one got to, got to you know build cap- capacity for for backups for South African 
powers and also deleveraging um, their balance sheet. So I think where MTN at one stage was was looking at paying out 100% of their earnings, you know, now we're mm. sitting at uh, about uh, 30, a third of it. So so I think that's where a lot of investors like it, uh, have liked it for that high dividend that it used to have. Talking of dividends, Sun International with the other results, they went the other way. Dividend up at 241. I mean, they stopped paying dividends in, well, they paid 2016 and then didn't pay again until interim uh, and now a final. And, and a strong set of numbers. This has been a, a really strong recovery in the, in, in, in the hospitality and leisure space. Yeah, I think very, very good result uh, from them. Across the board, you know, they're on their resorts to, to their gaming. Um, have done well. They obviously, do, with COVID, they had to really clean up the the, the act um, in terms of cost savings and so on. So um, it's a it's a much cleaner business. Also, they they've got rid of all those uh, those poor investments that they had overseas. Um, so I think operationally very good. Um, you've seen you know visitors and uh, active players in their um, in their casinos coming back. Um, so certainly looking really good i think um i think the outlook also for them still still good it's it's a much uh, better positioned business and and it's looking attractive in terms of their profitability so i think um, the market obviously marking it up by four percent so showing that uh, the pleasure in, in that result yeah, uh, and, and, and a lovely chart ever since, what, the Omicron. It just goes from bottom left to top right, which is what one wants to see from a chart from a stock you're holding. We'll leave it there. Kohl independent analyst, appreciate the early morning insights. Hear that? Nothing. Your money can do more when it blocks out the noise, as hard as it is these days. When you invest in the Stanler Balanced Cautious Fund, we manage the risks so that you can see stable inflation-beating returns through market cycles. Invest with more certainty at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib is an authorized financial services provider and a registered manager. MoneyWeb now on The Money. Also available on podcast. I'm chatting with Craig Metherall. He's from Denker Capital. Craig, appreciate the time today. Uh, ABSA results came out, and, and i got to say, I'm not sure if it's ABSA or the market. I mean, the ABSA is getting sold down quite aggressively, but frankly, with the whole SBB, uh, Silicon Valley Bank in, in, in the US, all the banks are getting sold down. You, you're reading of the ABSA numbers. Hi, Simon. Thanks for having me on the show. Yes, look, there's a lot going on in the world, particularly with banks, given what's happening in the US. Um, I think it's fair to say that, that there probably is some contagion. If you look across the sector, that's the South African banking sector at this point in time, the bank's index is down around 4%, but um, ABSA is down just over 6% now, I think it is, as, as we speak. So, you know, there's an element of the, the contagion risk, but I think at the same time, uh, there is perhaps a little bit of a disappointment coming through in ABSA's results. I thought that underlying the franchises showed some good performance, mm-hmm. but perhaps they were overshadowed by, by rising impairments. And that's that's both in the South African business and linked to the Ghanaian business as well, where they took a 2.7 billion rand impairment. And that's that's not, well, that is quite a material impairment that they've had to take there. So, you know, all in, I thought quite promising results, but but we, we certainly must pay attention to some of the risks on the horizon. You mentioned in payments there, I mean, it was one of the things, and, and I, you know, this is more around coming out of out of the pandemic, and of course we've got base effect because these are numbers for 2022 versus 21, FNB being the exception because, of course, December's there mid-year. I mean, the, the impairments were, were rising, but generally I thought not, not horrid. 
Yeah, look, it has been a, a, a tricky period for both um, the banks um, and us as analysts just to try and try and read through the set of numbers that we've been receiving. I, you know, I would say that impairments are starting to become a worry. Mm-hmm. They have risen quite sharply off a low base. I mean, if you think of what happened to interest rates and the pace that we've seen in interest rate hikes from the bottom in, in COVID when the Reserve Bank gave relief to customers, um, I think, you know, consumers that took took on debt in the, in the particularly low interest rate period have probably not really thought about what would happen when you get a yeah. 300, 325 basis points increase in interest rates. So I, I would say that that's caught... Uh, certain segments of the market off guard. You've seen that come through in credit loss ratios to a point. Uh, you made the point around first round, you know, um, quite a, a strong uh, number there in terms of credit loss ratios. Whereas, you know, maybe on ABSA and Nedbank's part, you've seen that start to drift into the upper half of their through the cycle target ranges. And and that's a bit of a worry. It's come through in, in more interest rate sensitive segments of the loan book. So particularly in terms of home loans and vehicle and asset finance. Um, and, um, you know that's that's something to to watch out for, and and management, in fairness, are guarding for for that. If you look at their outlook statements, they're certainly pointing the market in that direction, and and I would argue that maybe there's some upside risk to to these targets that they've provided. The other thing that that, that I, I always have a look at is cost to income ratio. I, I'm old enough to remember sort of the 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 well the the the, the aughts around 2010 and the like, and you know pr- prior to the 08 or 09 crisis, cost cost to incomes were low 50%. They rose a lot during the crisis. They came back to the mid 50s. We're seeing some of them, and most notably first round, which is actually getting those cost to incomes sort of lower. I mean, is that a sustainable trend? Are they just doing something better than the other banks? Yes, look, there's a lot of focus on improving efficiencies across the banks. Now, I think, I mean, you've gone back as far as pre-global financial crisis. I mean, a lot has changed on the digital space there. I think that's also one of the issues that you're having over in the US now. You know, a digital bank runs very different to a uh, a physical bank run, but that aside, there have been you know some very impressive results from from all of the banks, not only first round in terms of extracting efficiencies, driving a real kind of digital growth strategy, and that certainly reduced overhead costs. Um, it has come with the over, with the tech spend as well, but uh, the banks have been really good in managing this. Um, and you know, in these these recent results, I think in fairness to to the banks that. Top line growth has also flattened that ratio as well somewhat. Yeah. Um, you saw that particularly in first rounds, Aldermore business. Uh, they weren't, they didn't shy away from the fact that that the top line revenue growth really boosted that. And that's be- again back to the interest rate, um, the the massive hikes we saw in interest rates and the endowment effect that that gives the the benefit that that gives to the banks. Um, that obviously boosts the top line um, and obviously improves that ratio. Now, on, in terms of the trend, I think, yes, you will see ongoing improvements in those numbers. Um, I mean, each bank has set some quite uh, um, stretched targets, if you want to call that, in terms of cost to income yeah. ratios. And it's it's certainly, you know, it's, it's something that we do pay close attention to. We don't try and get hung up on it, but it is a good indication of kind of the quality of the franchise and so on. So, uh, first rand's 50.7% cost to income ratio certainly did stand out. Absa not too far behind at 51.5%. Um, so, yes, yeah, some, some good strides being made there. If you look at the big four, which is all reported, and of course, as we say, first rand's an interim, the others are, are year end. I mean, is it, which is the best of the four for, for you and your colleagues? Yeah, it's, um, it's, a, it's an interesting period. I've just been trying to kind of take stock now mm. that all four have reported. But I think we've seen 
you know, very good underlying franchise growth, as I mentioned, in ABSA. And I think you've also got to give credit to Standard Bank this time around as well. Um, some good results there, albeit for in both cases, relatively low basis, particularly in the insurance businesses. And that's come through and benefited in, in this period, as you've seen uh, lower claims and, and, and um not as much reserves being built up in the insurance businesses, as well as the fact that you've got this lag effect from interest rates. So, you know, if you look at Nedbank, for example, um, they saw a, a expansion of 24 basis points in their net interest margin just from Q1 to Q4. And you've yeah. still got, you know, another 200 basis points of them to to catch up. Um, so I think, you know, all, all four reported some impressive numbers, um, but I think, We've got to pay close attention to what's happening in credit losses now. Uh, I would say that ABSA is still executing well post the Barclays separation and Nedbank should be proud of the market share gains that they've made. And they also obviously, as I mentioned, benefit from this net interest income sensitivity that they're positioned for. That in a nutshell, I think probably um, probably first round stands out just in terms of, of how they've managed impairments and, and how we think about it going forward. We'll leave it there. That's Craig Mathura. He's a Denker Capital. Craig, as always, appreciate the time. So Craig's preferred is first round, and that's our question on our uh, LinkedIn and uh, Twitter profiles today at MoneyWeb in both cases. Which of the big four that have all now reported is your preferred uh, banking stock? ABSA, Nedbank, First Round, or Standard Bank? There's no postponing the inevitable. Your money knew this day would come. And you know what? It can hardly wait to start giving some back to you. When you invest in Stanlib's fixed income funds, you can retire earning a regular income off your investments. Invest for more certainty at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib is an authorized financial services provider and a registered manager. MoneyWeb now on the money. I'm chatting with Andili Ntingi. He's founder at GetBiz. Andili, appreciate the time today. Uh, state-owned enterprises, and we'll touch on telecom in a bit, but broadly state-owned enterprises, uh, this is not a, a unique thing to South Africa. Most countries have got them. We seem to have a lot. I mean, we've got some 700 plus. I mean, that just seems like a, a huge number for a country, particularly a country that, frankly, is uh, uh, struggling economically. Yes, we do. We've got SOEs across spheres of government from national, uh, provincial, and also local government. So my view is that we need to streamline them. And the best way of doing that is to privatize and let uh, the private sector to run some of these businesses. Or we don't have to, we don't have to privatize them uh, through a blanket approach. Some of them can be partially privatized. Others can be uh, privatized and let the government exit those businesses so that the government can focus on what it needs to do, provide security, provide infrastructure. Yeah, and, and I suppose to the key point, stick to what governments do. I mean, the, the one that was privatized, well, partly. I mean, the government partly let telecom free in 1996. It was listed in 2003. A, a lot of folks say that's almost the poster child for success. But, I mean, if we look at it compared to MTN and, and Vodacom and, and even some of the sort of later telcos that have come to market, it hasn't necessarily been a roaring success. It, it has not been a, a, a at some point, it was a success after it was, yes, it fair was point. Uh, privatized uh, in 1996, where government uh, basically uh, brought in Malaysian investors 
who were strategic investors to come in and help improve operations and allow also telecom to face competition. So there was some success, but the government still held a huge position on the on the company. And my view is that that position, they, I mean, if you look at the uh, the stake that government holds, it's about 55%. I think for a company that is listed like uh, telecom, it's a huge position. And I think we need to bring in down its influence on the company because some people have feel that the huge government holding on the company, if you look at the fact that 40% of it is held by government and then another uh, close to 15% is held by the PIC, mm-hmm. those are government institutions. So it, it would be better uh, for government, uh, central government, to exit and then we bring in capitalists that bring in expertise and capital to come in and help grow the business because my view is that Telecom can grow to become a larger company than what it is. If you think about uh, the history of Telecom, Telecom was one of the key founders of Vodacom. Without Vodacom, they wouldn't have been Vodacom without uh, uh, Telecom. Because most of the skills at the time when Vodacom was founded in in the early 1990s came from Telecom. The founder of Vodacom, Alan Nord Craig, Mm-hmm. was an executive of telecom. So my view is that maybe it's time for government to reduce its stake and allow this business to grow because from where I sit, there's no strategic reason why government is still yeah. holding on to this company, uh, this juncture, given that other companies that were founded after are much more larger and successful. They are now multinationals and telecom it's sort of like it's still a struggling local player uh, that is smaller than its rivals. So uh, my view is that government must, must just leave this company to the private owners to and grow it. Because now there's still some, in a way, there's still some influence. Even if it's a listed company, government still holds some influence in the direction that this company is going into. Yeah, I mean, I take your point. I mean, with, with an effective 55% stake, I mean, they control the board. But I like your point around bringing capitalists in because the other thing is that the telco sector is a high, it's a high capex sector. I mean, you know, we're rolling 5G. As soon as we're done with that, we're moving on to 6G. And, and government just hasn't got capacity. What you need is a, is a, is a, is a large shareholder with, with deep pockets who can help them uh, grow and become a, a, a multinational. And the other thing, uh, Simon, is that if you look at the telecom sector right now, they, we can't argue that there's market failure. We see that now there are players who are willing to go into underserviced uh, areas, mm-hmm. like the townships, uh, informal settlements, and the rural areas that are willing to go into that space. Look at, the, for instance, the company, new companies that have been set up to go into that space, Elita Communications, which is run by Vuyani Yahana, an ex-Vodacom uh, executive. He's willing to invest in the in the townships, invest in the rural areas. So there's no need for government to force uh, telecom uh, to participate in that space. We also have got uh, Isizwe uh, Telecoms, which is also investing in, in, in the township sector. So I, there's no market failure there, and there's no need uh, for government to hold a stake in, in, in telecom. Yeah, I, I take your point on that. I, others, others are doing it. That they don't need to step in. We'll leave that there. Sandili Ntengi, he's founder at GetBiz. Andili, appreciate the time.
That's it for today. Yesterday we were chatting with Wayne McCurry about the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, two other banks have subsequently gone down as well. We asked uh, about the possible repercussions and how bad this could potentially be. Just over a third each way voted for seems to be contained and we'll know soon enough. A quarter saying it is very bad. Have your vote, have your say, Twitter and LinkedIn. This show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. We're live every weekday morning, the MoneyWeb website in the app, 6.30 a.m. podcast, just after 7. Thanks to my team, Eddie, Nobuchle, Nicole, to you for listening, my guests for their early morning. My name is Simon Brown. This is MoneyWeb Now. We'll chat again tomorrow. How does private equity work? You've been listening to another MoneyWeb Now podcast, posted every weekday at 7 a.m. on moneyweb.co.za. MoneyWeb Now, on the money.